Welcome to Books, Bras, and Booze. This is your host, Jamie. And Monica. Hello, hello. Hello, friends. Hooray. And as we continue on with our theme for this season, Identity. Yes, and we're squeaking in our February episode at the last of February. <laughs> it's a short month. It's very hard, right? Yes, we're very busy. <laughs> we we are very busy, and it's been very difficult. So um, I picked out a list of books, and uh, we were like, oh, that sounds good. Uh, so we chose Seven Husbands of Evelyn Hugo. Which I enjoyed a lot more than I thought I was going to. Same. I mm-hmm. I was not, I didn't have super high expectations. Like, I've seen a lot of hoopla about it, and I was like, eh, okay. Yeah. okay. And then I'm like, it doesn't really seem like my kind of thing. Right. And then when I was reading, I was like, oh, this is a lot more interesting than I thought it would be. Oh, I, I want to know more. <laughs> and it was also a quick read, which is nice when you just want a good story to read and you don't want to you know, invest a whole bunch of time. Like you can totally just read it in short little bits and get it, get through it really fast. Yeah. Yes. Very much so. It's very easy read. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. So I do have some discussion questions that we will struggle our way through. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. We rescheduled a couple times. So we read the book about a month ago, perhaps a little more than a month ago, but it's fine. It's fine. Yeah. It's fine. (laughs) So they're from the publisher. And the first one is each husband's section opens with an illustrative uh, moniker. For example, poor Ernie Diaz. That was my favorite. (laughs) Goddamn Don Adler. (laughs) <laughs> agreeable Robert Jameson it was like discuss the meaning and significance of some of these descriptions how do they set the tone for the section that follows did you read these characterizations this is coming from Evelyn Monique and Omni Omniscient narrator or someone else I think they came from Evelyn I did too yeah <coughs> and I think that it was just kind of like her way of um, just explaining, like, how she felt about each one. Like, poor Ernie was the best. Because she, like, had nothing, no beef with Ernie. Like, Ernie no. was fine. She just basically used him for a ride out to California. Yeah, like, <laughs> I need to get out of this hellhole. Yeah. Oh, hello, Ernie. Which is literally, she was in Hell's Kitchen, wasn't she? <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, that was... That was fantastic. And I feel like it um, kind of gave me a hint about what the topic was going to be for that husband. I do think it set the tone for them. Like, you know, yeah. oh, poor Ernie and goddamn Don Adler. I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, it, it did. And it was, um, it was fun. Yeah, I thought so too. <coughs> of the seven husbands, who was your favorite and why? Oh, well, my favorite was um, her best friend. Um, Which wasn't her husband, but yes, yes. I agree. Same. Yes. So they, it was a marriage of convenience so that he could be with his partner and she could be with her partner. But they remained friends, like, literally from her first time being out in California. And they remained friends for their whole life. And I just thought he was a great guy. I, I agree. I, yeah. I was very um, 
sad when he got sick. Me too. I yeah. was like, this is a fictional character, but I'm emotionally invested in this. Right. <laughs> <clears throat> so Monique's notes that hearing Evelyn Hugo's life story has inspired her to carry herself differently than she would have before. In what ways does Monique grow over the course of the novel? Discuss whether Evelyn also changes by the end of her time with Monique. And if so, what spurs this evolution? I don't I don't really feel like Evelyn changed at all during the story. You could see her progression as a character through her life, but her at the end telling her story, I felt like she was stayed pretty true to the beginning to the end of like people that are important to me are important to me and I'm going to do whatever I need to to protect them and take care of them. I totally agree. I think the only thing was is that sense of completion when she I felt like she really wanted to get her story out so I felt like maybe she felt a little more relieved but I wouldn't say that was like a change in her character right yeah I felt Monique definitely had a lot of growth because at the beginning she's upset that her husband has moved out and this divorce is happening and she's feeling a longing to be with him still and then by the end she realizes hey I don't need a man I can live my life and do what I want all on my own which I think she was missing the marriage not the man it was just that comfort of she became a lot more confident yes to be able to do things on her own um she I would definitely agree she totally changed and I feel like her relationship with her mom also changed during the story. And her editor, or her boss. Yeah. She yeah. became a lot more confident at work and sort of owned her worth. And I think she learned that from Evelyn Hugo. I think so, too. Yeah. <clears throat> oh, okay. Uh, this is one of my favorite ones. On page 147, Monique says, I had to Evelyn Hugo, Evelyn Hugo. What does it mean to Evelyn Hugo? And can you think of a time when you might be tempted to Evelyn Hugo? <laughs> well, what is she talking about there? About kind of like just taking what you want and um, going for what you want and being confident about it? Yeah. Is that kind of what she's yeah, saying? She was like, listen, lady, if you want me to write this, I'm putting myself at risk as well with this um, magazine that I work for, they think I'm here to interview you. Oh, that's right. And she I made them do the mag, made her do that magazine interview. Right. It's like, I don't know when you're going to die. <laughs> I don't know when I'm going to get paid off for this. I know I have bills that I have to pay today and I need you to make sure those bills get paid. If this is something you really want to do with me. Yeah, that was great. And I think that was also the beginning of her. Hey, if I can do this with her, I can do this with anyone. <laughs> right, right. And really, I, I thought it was really great how she thought of herself as being Evelyn Hugo doing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they definitely have, um, their relationship becomes quickly like a little friendship, you know? It does. Yeah. I don't think I've ever been tempted to Evelyn Hugo anything. I mean, like... I'm reading a book about boundaries. Like, 
I need a little bit more Evelyn Hugo in my life right now. <laughs> I feel like I can ask for what I need and want. I don't feel like I have to force it. It seems more like Evelyn Hugo forced what she wanted to happen. Yes, she was definitely a lot more driven. Like, and, and I guess... A quality that I admire about her is she knows what she wants. Yes. I find myself sometimes, like, just sort of vaguely wanting to be happy, but not really being able to, like, pinpoint it where I want this particular thing, you know? So that's something that's good to know is what you want, basically. She was very driven to get what she want however she could get it. Yeah. So, yeah, not not me. I know. I, I, I am self-motivated. Don't get me wrong. I am just not that self-motivated. <laughs> well, and she learned, too, that, you know, she got everything she wanted. Yes. But still had a lot of heartache and unhappiness. And But I guess the good thing is, is she knew then. It wasn't like, oh, if only I could have had this, I could have been happy. Right. Like, she pretty much achieved everything she wanted to achieve. Did you trust Evelyn to be a reliable narrator as you were, you were reading? Did your opinions on this change at all by the conclusion? I think I grew to trust her more towards the end of the book. Um, at the beginning, I think I just didn't know what to expect from her. But she, as, she, as she explains her circumstances... Like, you go into it thinking, oh, seven husbands, and uh, she's exactly. real cutthroat. Yeah. But then you start to see the circumstances that came about like, with everything, and oh. you're like, oh, I can see how that worked out. Yeah. I felt the same way. I was like, seven husbands? Jesus Christ. I'm like, what the hell? What? <laughs> yeah. Just running through them like tissue paper? And then, like, reading it, you're like, oh. Huh. That makes sense. Okay. Yeah. I huh. probably wouldn't have done it that way, but, but you know, whatever. Okay. I, I can see it. Yeah. yeah. Huh. What role do the news, tabloid, and blog articles interspersed throughout the book serve in the narrative? What, if anything, do we learn about Evelyn's relationship to the outside world from them? Oh, that was very fascinating because, first of all, it's a big, this is what other people are thinking about you. Um, and I think that you can kind of narrow that down to everybody's life. Everybody worries about what other people are thinking about them. You know, so the tabloids was just like this big public, you know, macrocosm of the microcosm of what would happen in our normal lives. And so she has to decide, you know, if she's going to let that bother her or not bother her, or dictate her choices or whatever. Yeah. <clears throat> I, I don't think it really, I think at first it affected how she felt about the outside world but then I think after a while she was just sort of like screw it and I think she sort of played them also oh yeah completely yeah. completely yeah. yes yes at several points in the novel such as pages 82 83 and 175 to 182 Evelyn tells her story through the second person you how does this kind of narration affect the reading experience? Why do you think she chooses these memories to recount in this way? So Kira, my daughter, 
and I were talking about this not too long ago, um, about first person or second person. I don't notice when it changes. Do you notice when you're reading when it changes? I didn't. I I, I notice it. I do. I notice it, but I don't notice it. Like yeah. I notice it, but it doesn't. It doesn't affect what, how I'm reading it. I guess. Yeah. I have a, a co-worker that likes to talk about people in the third person, mm. including themselves. And then they'll talk to me and be like, what does Jamie do? And I'm like, I'm right here. <laughs> I noticed that. That's hilarious. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, hmm, this is a weird way to talk about this. Okay. Yeah. What was the subject of those pages? Do you know? I don't remember yeah. And I don't have I don't have the book anymore. No, I don't either. So I'm sure it was significant for that part of the story for whatever reason, but you know, I didn't it wasn't that jarring to where I paid attention really. I yeah, I I didn't even notice it at all until I read this and I was like, "Huh. Okay." <laughs> How do you think Evelyn's understanding and awareness of sexuality were shaped by her relationship with Billy? The boy who works at the five and dime store, how does her sensible or sensibility evolve from this initial encounter as she grows older? To what extent is Evelyn's attitude towards sex is influenced by those around her? Well, I think at the beginning, she very much saw it as her only commodity. Yeah. And she felt like she didn't have a lot of control over it. It just sort of happened to her. Right. And then her identifying, um, which is how this fits into our identity theme, as being bisexual, I thought that was really fascinating how that evolved because of the time frame. Like, she didn't have um, words to use to describe who she was. Right. And so as that kind of, as the times changed throughout the book and she was able to say, oh, yes, this is what I am. You and, know, and she was sort of surprised and overwhelmed by the love that she felt towards her partner when it happened, and it was goddamn Don Ever, <laughs> as it should have been. Right, right, right. <clears throat> and I think at the beginning she felt sex was, uh, yeah, a commodity. It was something to. Uh, to use to get what she wanted and she sort of sold it for what she needed and then by the end it became a, a loving act well her looks and her identity because she actually got rid of all of her ethnic background totally disowned it um and so she she was using that to by what she wanted, basically. It was everything that was her, about her, she <coughs> gave up to get these things that she wanted. Um, so I think I think as she grows and matures, she starts to learn that maybe that wasn't <laughs> the best thing to do. <laughs> Although she has no regrets, though. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say, she... She does say, like, you know, maybe those weren't the best choices, mm -hmm. but those were the choices I made. Yeah. I think she has a really great ability, which a lot of people don't, a lot of people beat themselves up about the past, where she's like, well, 
you know, I didn't know what I didn't know, <laughs> you know. Oh, and our next question goes into that really well. Oh. It says, on page 54, Avalon uses the saying, all's well that ends well, as part of her explanation for not regretting her actions. Mm -hmm. Do you think Evelyn truly believes this? Using examples in her life, discuss why or why not, blah, 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 blah. Yeah. So I, I do think that she, she really believes that oh definitely i think she does too and i think probably out of everything out of all her husbands and her bisexuality and all of that stuff i think that is the thing that shocked me the most is that she could look back on this life and um like have that kindness to herself to know that oh yep i was really young and you know I'm not going to apologize for what I did because really she did make the best choice that she thought she could make at the time. Yeah. It so. it was a true kindness to herself. Yeah. And it wasn't even like, um, and I'm not even saying like she thought she was doing the right thing all the time because she didn't. And she knew she wasn't always doing the right thing, but, but she thought that was the best thing for her at the time. And I thought, wow. That's, like, really awesome to be able to look back at a life without any regret, you know? Right. Right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Craziness. So much craziness. Yeah, that was definitely crazy. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> I'm in a writer's club, and we were tasked with writing a poem. And one of them is, like, uh, a prompt for a poem. I was looking up online. It's, like, advice you would give your younger self. And I was, like, never get married. Become an accountant. Don't have kids. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> Minus the accountant, I'm really bad at math. <laughs> I'm really good at math. So I was just like, oh gosh. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. No, that is not my life. I'm not an Evelyn Hugo. No. Nor no. am I. Evelyn offers some firm, firm words of wisdom throughout her recounting of her life, such as, be wary of men with something to prove. Never let anyone make you feel ordinary. And it's okay to grovel for something you really want. What is your favorite piece of advice from Evelyn? Was there any assertions you strongly disagreed with? I can't think of It's been so long since I've read it. I can't think of any off the top of my head. Uh, I, I really enjoyed them while I was reading it. Yeah. I, I thought they were very funny and cute. I, I liked them. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember a favorite one either. Yeah. <clears throat> Several times, Evelyn mentions having cosmic, cosmetic surgery. What was your reaction to this? How do these decisions jive with the value system and ethical code she seems to live by? Why do you think Evelyn continues to dye her hair at the end of her life? Well, I mean, she was always beautiful like and she's like mentioned as stunning still not even like for her age like she's still genuinely stunning yeah at the end of her life that was a big part of her identity whether she likes it or not it really was um so having to choose to keep that that's great i <laughs> my mom works at a plastic surgery office and um so i had often thought you know, would I ever want to have anything like that done? Absolutely not. I can't imagine going through all that to change something 
about myself. It's just not who I am. <laughs> I, <clears throat> I had no surgery to help me breathe better. Yeah. It was not as successful as we hoped it would have been. And he suggested that I go back for a second surgery. And the first one was so incredibly painful and horrible. I was like, never again. Yeah. No. Uh, I will live with not breathing. It will be fine. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty serious. <laughs> that was a pretty bad experience. I don't need to breathe through my nose. It's fine. I have a mouth. <laughs> the mouth hole works. <laughs> yeah. No, it was, it was terrible. Yeah. So, I mean, like good for her that she can can do that and still it is part of her identity it is part of her self-care yeah i would never look down on anybody for doing it but i think it's just not for me yeah yeah i am so low maintenance i don't i can't even put on mascara every day i'm like oh mascara it's so much more i gave up makeup (laughs) years ago years ago i just don't even have the energy for all that. Well, with my super blonde eyelashes, people often think I have no eyelashes. You do have blonde eyelashes. Yeah. So mm-hmm. I would, I was wearing mascara for a really long time, so people would stop asking me <laughs> if I had eyelashes. That's hilarious. People are really rude. <laughs> well, I think it's funny, like, after, like, a lifetime of having see-through eyelashes. It's hilarious. I think my friend's like, do you have eyelashes? I'm like, no. <laughs> I have those removed. <laughs> I prefer to look weird. <laughs> yeah, now that I can get on board with. <laughs> oh, shoot. <clears throat> oh, uh, so for our beverages this evening, we are going with non-alcoholic. Yes. So today I have brewed myself a wonderful cup of blood orange from Apothecates. They do deliver, uh, well, I won't say they'll, they ship. Mm. So if you decide to order from Apothecates.com, they will mail it out to you. Nice. Delicious. I'm having a wonderful cup of coffee, even though it's really getting kind of late. But I always spice my coffee. I put a little turmeric and some cinnamon, and this one has a little nutmeg in it. I just put it in the grounds when I brew it, and it's extra yummy. Oh, nice. Yeah. So fancy. So our last question is, if you can meet and interview one celebrity at the end of their life, who would it be and uh, what would you ask them? Wow, that is a really hard question. Do I even know any celebrities? (laughs) Well, the only celebrity that I was really super obsessed with was Jim Morrison of The Doors, but he died before I was even born. But... I think, I, you know, if I could pick anyone dead or alive, I would pick Jim Morrison just because I'm sure this is kind of one of those situations where, like, you know, you don't, if you really, really like somebody, like a celebrity, you probably don't want to meet them. Yeah. <laughs> but. You don't want to become friends. Well, yeah. you don't want to, like, I think they would disappoint your mental picture of them. Uh-huh. But, you know, I would like to talk to him about, you know, his poetry and he was just really cool. <laughs> I, yeah, I would probably pick an author. Um, my, the first one that comes to my head was Neil Gaiman. Mm, yeah. Like, You're and so he seems weird cool. And interesting and fun and cool. Like, how do the, how does this happen? What goes on in there? You know? Yeah. I was like, do you 
like, what are your dreams like? And what do you like to eat? And what's your favorite drink? And I'm like, just like weird, like questions. That would be me. Yeah. Very cool. So any, uh, any last thoughts on this, on this book? Um, I don't think so. I I just think that it's not as frivolous as I thought it was going to be. It's heart-wrenching at times. So heart-wrenching. Yeah, Yeah. but also it's really good at times, too. So I think it's worth the read. Oh, um, so spoilers. Uh, Do you feel at the end it was an accident or on purpose? Oh, like when... um, like with Monique's dad, uh, I was thinking of with Evelyn's death. Oh, Evelyn's death. Yeah, I think that that was on purpose for sure. I think that her picking Monique had a lot to do with that. Um, um <coughs> like that. What do you call it? Assisted suicide article that she wrote. Right. It had a lot to do with that, and then of course the fact of who her father was. And that was another big shocker. It felt a little, the ending felt a little like, could this really happen in real life? <laughs> but it was still good. I, I felt the ending was a little bit rushed. Mm-hmm. It did abruptly it seemed, end. It did seem like to have this really nice flow through the whole mm-hmm. story. And then at the end, I felt like, well, wait a minute. This is, this is over? What? No, I'm I'm not ready for this yet. Yeah. But yeah, I definitely think she did it on purpose. I think it was just like the rest of her life. She was going to do everything on her terms. Yeah, and she had everything planned out and checked boxed all those marks. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Well, that's a downer ender. Sorry, guys. Yeah. Uh, Oh, well. (laughs) Yes. Hopefully next month's book will be more fun and entertaining. Uh, then we won't pick Frankenstein next month either. We'll save that one for October. Oh, yeah. That's a good idea. That huh? is a good idea. Yeah. That is a good idea. Well, thank you so much for everyone for listening. Yeah. We hope you have a wonderful month. Bye. Bye.